1: From some of the best elk hunters in the world. across the canyon, pop up the other side, and the wind is right at my back and blows right into it. I cut him off
0: and say, I'm the best one, that's you. I love it. I feel like I'm super blessed
1: to call
2: myself an elk hunter. To beat them at their game, to get them within that bow range, convincing them
1: that I'm one of them.
0: You gotta close that distance really quick on him. And if you can engage that much, that's a dead bull.
1: Welcome to Western Contours Podcast, sharing experiences, providing insight, and looking for solutions to become better hunters. Whether you're chasing bugles over the next ridge, sitting a stand out east, this is about passion, pursuing our dreams afield, our lifestyle, the betterment of self and community, the enlightenment that comes from those moments spent in God's creation. Through these conversations, I hope you find insight, inspiration, education, and motivation to push beyond your limits. I dropped it on Carbon on... I hit record. Uh, I dropped it on Carbon on Friday and then dropped everywhere else today, so... It's, uh-huh. fr- it's fresh and ready to listen. Crack open his coffee. I've been going since three thirty.
2: <laughs> really?
1: <sighs> these are pretty good, man. They're addicting, little sons of guns.
2: Really? Yeah. Oh man.
1: Oof. Then they got
2: That's that black rifle.
1: Yeah, it's two hundred milligrams of caffeine. <laughs> really? Wow. <sighs> Burn that off in a, a couple. That's hours. what I need. I need
2: to ship these things. Here's what I need to ship off to you, bro. Let's see what the freaking cards in here. We got mocha. We got what is that? Peppermint watermelon. Let's see. That's another mocha one. So these are Zipix toothpicks,
1: right? You know what? I've heard of those.
2: Yeah, these are cinnamon. So I think these come in. These ones, uh, I think there are either three or like two or three milligrams of, of nicotine on Mm -hmm. there. So that, uh, so I don't know if you listened to the beginning of any of my shows, man, but they, they like, they said this thing and said, well, waypoint, they, they wanted me to do a thing with Zipx right? Um, they said, well, here's what they do, blah, blah, blah. And I looked at it and I was like, okay, these are like toothpicks to help, um, uh, you know, people break the habit if they want to. Right. You know, and, and it's more, you know, it's not like vaping and it's not like those little chupes that you put in your mouth. And, and a toothpick is something that everybody is like socially acceptable. You don't even notice it, you know, one of those things. And and it kind of has that oral fixation. So I was like, dude, if it helps people break a habit to live longer and keep them from getting mouth cancer or lung cancer, I said, I'm in like that. And so, so they sent me a thing to do the um, you know, they sent me a script to do the ad. And I read through the script. And to me, it was almost like, yeah, you can get the nicotine and six different flavors and blah, blah, blah. And I was like, mm, no, that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about helping people break a habit, not just giving them friggin' nicotine to have nicotine, right? You know. Uh so um I said you know, I told him, I said, and it was like, Oh, you know, like I used them and stuff. And I was like, I don't use it. I said, I don't do anything. And so I was like, I tell you what, I'm going to do this my way. You either want to use it or you don't. So I just did a piece and sent it to him. And he was like, you
0: That'll know, work.
2: because I basically, I basically said, look, most of us here at Elk Bros don't use tobacco, but I have friends and family that do. And if it means helping them, to break a habit to live longer, so prevent stroke, heart attack, or anything like that, we're all in. So it was basically an ad like that that I did, and so that's at the beginning of uh, the of ones. my show now. Heck so
1: because yeah. mine come in yeah. uh, Copenhagen, long Cut mint.
2: <laughs> I, I know. <laughs> I know. That's why I'm sending you so Send much stuff. Look, right. wait. Send me the <laughs> That's why that's why I'm sending you these, bro. <laughs> okay, I'm a pack a wad right now. <laughs> I care about you too much, man. So I'm like, I'm gonna help that dude out, man. So when when I was a kid uh, in high school, um my favorite teacher, you know, and, and back home everybody chewed into dip, man. You know, I mean, even dudes on the teams and stuff, right? Mm-hmm. So Um our and our shop teacher and this dude was like a man's man type dude, you know, and really cool. We all love demon stuff. And he ended up getting mouth cancer. And dude, within months it went to his brain. Oh, no way. And and we got to he actually they they did a they did a big um assembly for us. He wanted everybody in the school together and he came in there and he could hardly speak and spoke to us all and stuff. And dude, it was like, it was like tissue everywhere, man. man. And, uh, and he died months later. And so I'm like, mm. so whenever I, you know, it's like RC, I'm always on RC and stuff like that. But you know, if I can help somebody break that habit,
1: I'm in for it, Heck man. Yeah.
2: Especially if I care about Well, know, that's, so.
1: you know, that, that's the thing, right. As we, and and with all those little vices like that, you know, we know they're bad and we continue to do them. And then the regret doesn't set in till later. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Well, most of us because we think we're friggin' immortal, right? Yeah, I just do it because I'm addicted to the shit. I ain't going to bullshit. <laughs> 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 that's, that's, all it is. that's all it amounts to for me. Coming <laughs> your way, bro. <laughs> Heck yeah, send them. I'll try it. Well, well uh,
2: and, and, and the reason I want you to, too, is I want feedback, man. If we're going to support a company, I want feedback, yeah. oh, right? You
1: know, I'll be yeah. honest about it, too.
2: Oh, absolutely. I might have yeah. to
1: have three or four picks in my mouth, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> I might chew them sons of guns up. You Because there there's a, what's the one that I saw? It's called Grounds, um, and it's a coffee dip. Mm-hmm. I think it's in a pouch, and uh, those are supposed to help, too, but I'm like there's got to be a bad side to having some pouch of anything sitting in your mouth, you know, there's a detriment to all that stuff. And unfortunately those folks are into making money. So.
2: And I don't know if they sent me the other ones. I haven't looked at them all yet, but, uh, there's supposed to be some that are like B12 too. Mm -hmm. And they even have like caffeine
1: ones and stuff like that. Yeah. I've heard of the caffeine ones. I didn't realize they had, uh, the, uh, Copenhagen-based
0: ones.
1: <laughs> well, shoot, my brother. I wanted to get on, man, you know, and and we kind of briefly spoke on it. But now's the time, right, for everybody to – oh, I'm on with Joe Gillia by the way. Um, now's the time for everybody to start getting into gear for next September or, you know, August, whatever those, whatever those elk hunts are, right? All the way through, you know, some seasons go – Uh, into December, a lot of folks are going to wait and I'm like, you know what, that's, that's half the problem. Cause that's, and and we've talked about that before as we start getting flooded with what can I do for this? What can I do for that? And you're talking mid to late August. Mm-hmm. Mid-September, guys are three, four weeks into September, excuse me, three weeks, and they got a hunt in their fourth week, and they're hitting us up. And and none of us mind it, but at the same time, it's like, look, if you can be prepared or start preparing now, that's where I want you to be, right? None of us want to, especially on the bros camp, none of us want to see you struggling uh, walking in a season. So I just wanted to get on and talk about Elk Bros Adventures, the base camp, and uh, some of the... Pretty exciting stuff we have coming, in my opinion. As yeah. biased as I am. <laughs> well, you should be, man, because
2: hey, let me tell you something, man. Uh I, I I was just talking about this with somebody else just the other day. And you know, I've I've admired, listened, and and uh loved the things that you've done for a long time. You know, one thing that I love about you, guy, man, is is you are you, man. It's Let's straight see. up, and that's how it's going to come out, right? And uh, and everything, your passions, um, you know, the things that you're not happy with, <laughs> <is gonna laughs> come out, you know. Uh, and and I'm much like that myself. I think a lot of us outdoor guys are like that. But um, uh, one thing that I was talking to somebody about was, dude, man, when I saw how you were, um, coaching and teaching, uh, with our elk bros adventure success squad this year, I was like, dude, you are a natural teacher. And I could just see the passion just really coming out. It's like, it's like you struck something that you haven't touched on in a long time. And it just really, it was real evident that, 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 that's something that floats your boat,
1: man. You did a great job. Thank you, man. Yeah. You know, I think, and and we talked about that very briefly. Um, and that's kind of like through my career, that's one of the things that I've always been passionate about, right. Is you know, in my business, people are like, Oh, you keep those, you know, their tools in the shed, just keep them stupid. Mm-hmm. Right. You want, mm-hmm. you want them working from here down. And I've always felt total opposite of that, man. Like I want to share every bit of information I have. And a lot of that was, you know, people talking about threats to their job. I don't want to give them to see. I'm the opposite. I'm like, look, I want you to outdo me. I want you to be better than me. I want you to come get me because it's going to motivate me and it's going to make me up my game. Right. And I think right. that's kind of where that piece is. And then when I was coach- uh, coaching my kids in sports and, and sharing uh-huh. that time and training kids, you know, uh, high school and college athletes, Um, When I was doing that stuff, just been always, you know, just passionate about it. And I haven't been able to share this passion like I did with our adventures guys. And man, I was just all in. And those dudes were so hungry. Like, and and when someone's hungry and you can see the passion in them and that desire, dude, it just like ramps you up a thousand fold. I'm like, let's go. Like, what do I have to do, you know?
2: Yeah, absolutely, and and that's like a. Like, I'll steer us back to what you were talking about before. You know, these are guys that they were basically getting an education on elk hunting, uh, what two months prior to ever getting boots on the ground, right? And what we see, what you and I see, um, and and we can see it just in episodes like listens and views and everything like that, I see when everything peaks for our show, Mm -hmm. right? And man, it's like August, July is just like screaming. Everybody's like cramming before they get out there to hunt. In fact, I even had one of my guide trainees, I, I do a guide training program for the ranch that I work on. And I had one of my guide trainees call me (laughs) <laughs> two weeks before one of his scheduled hunts like coach uh man can uh can you hook me back up again i haven't been in the academy since uh for a while and and i really want to go brush myself up before the hunt and i'm like
1: really now you know it's like well, that, come on man. okay so so because folks will say so well i don't have the time but okay so manage your time because that's what a lot of people say. That's what a lot of people I'm like, man, look, I don't have a problem helping you, but next time let's get on top of it a little earlier. You know, I just haven't had time, this, 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 that, and the other, all of us have that. Right. But Mm -hmm. it's, well, (laughs) it's a priority thing, right? You're going to do what you make time for what you set as a priority. And I, I'm not belittling the physical aspects of elk hunting, But it is one of the attributes of a good elk hunter, not the end all be all. And a lot of what I see is people think that that's the end all be all. And I think that's because it's easier to go and do something like that than it is to sit in front of your laptop or your computer and read that information, especially when you get up there in age, you know, like some of us. Uh, Joe in particular, you know, <laughs> stone tablets are heavy. <laughs> Son <of a> buck. <laughs> so I, I think there's a few things that go along with it and it's pretty interesting to me. And it's like, let me, let me rewind too. And I'm not saying that a guy like Joe or someone like myself that is constantly digesting it, we, we're constantly learning as well, but you got to prioritize The aspects of your endeavor and say X amount of time to this X amount of time to that X amount of time to this, because the two things that I see is the elk knowledge and the proficiency with the weapon is the two biggest things, at least in my head. And then the physical fitness. I mean, we got more dudes in shape flexing, you know, 22 (laughs) inch guns and six packs Mm -hmm. that haven't got around to that other side yet, and they're still struggling in those areas. And I think it's really just prioritizing or just saying, hey, X amount of time this week, X amount of time for this activity, this activity, and this activity, and breaking that out into thirds or fourths or whatever that is, uh, I think is a big deal.
2: Yeah. So remember what we do, we talk about failure points, right? And you know, that's where you're going to discover, uh, guys, listen, 95%, 95%, we say 95%, they say 10% success rate out there, right? But it's, you know, for the overall large group, it's it's probably 5%. You know, you've got a lot of those guys that are doing the same. They're the same people every year that are killing animals, right? And you take a look at everybody else, 95% of people that go out there are going to fail. 95 out of 100 are not going to punch attack. Think about that. 95 out of 100. So for all of you guys that are, and look, look, do do I make mistakes in the woods? Heck yes, I do. But after 40 seasons and seeing the things that I do and the hunters that I guide, the hunters that I teach, hunters that I coach, hunters that I bump into in the woods, right? Hunters that I know as friends and stuff. And people that talk about, like I hear the stories all the time about it, you know, it's the same fish story, how far away from the shore it was before it got away, right? You know, and this is happening to 95 out of a 100 people. And if if there if you have been hunting 4 years, 5 years and you are doing the same things with that result then that's the definition of insanity right there man. You you have to do something different if you want a different result. And one thing that I've seen is the same way I coach basketball players, guy, I never I never have to work with guys shooting 3 point shots. You know why? Hey, the first thing they get a ball, they go on the basketball court and they go out and start shooting threes. Mm-hmm. Everybody wants to shoot the three. That's the cool thing. Do they want to work on squatting low, moving their feet, and playing defense? No, they want to work on offensive skills because that's what gets the ah, the ooh, you know, um, or or trying to slam somebody when they're coming in when you're trying to block a shot. And yet, I teach people. It's so, it's so funny because it's just like shot placement you know the places that i teach people to shoot are not necessarily what most people hear all the time they hear the golden triangle they hear heart shot they hear things like that and that's not where i on an elk want people to shoot and it's just the same way when uh you know when i'm when i'm coaching people about blocking a shot you know when you go to block a shot you know, Five times out of six, you're going to get called for a foul, or you're not even going to block the shot. Only one time, maybe out of 10 in the game, is it going to happen for you, but you're going to commit a foul, or you're going to be out of position, you're going to do something wrong, right? So there are certain things that we see people doing that are habits that we try to correct. And I can tell you this, I got I got asked this the other day, I got asked the three things that if I had to tell people, what would change their success, Right. Well the first thing i said was knowledge of course you know and and when you take knowledge not only knowledge of the animal knowledge of your calling what you're saying and how you're saying and when you're saying when not to say it not only that but knowledge of where elk wanna be uh knowledge of the area that you're hunting you know that is huge man it is so big just to have that knowledge and you know, that, that's one. And then number two, and really what I think is the main reason for my success over most people's success is that is it's just strictly being able to speak the language and understanding the language, man, that communication with elk. I control my elk hunting destiny. I don't wait on chance. I don't wait on um, a happening of me being in, the right place at the, the right, right time.
1: time.
2: Yep. Yeah. Yeah. I, I create the
1: right place and I create the right time. Right. That's it. Okay. So perspective wise, right. If you look at, uh-huh. if you look at, you know, the, the, the guys that are involved with, with the elk bros, right. Mm-hmm. I put myself in here. Uh RC, Chav, Gil, Mananu, Luis, Joe, uh-huh. myself. I think I said myself twice. No, that's seven. One tag was punched this year. Right. You were the only one. That that tagged. There was yeah. only one tag punched. So yep. if you look at the um, amount of information that's being shared via the Elk Bros platform and my platform and the <laughs> probably 70 years between RC and Chav and, and Chav has some limitation, albeit. Right. And one yeah. tag out of seven was punched. And you're talking over multiple states. That is what you're up against when you decide to go and tackle this undertaking. I mean, that that is, you know what I mean? One out of seven. So keeping, you know, what Joe's saying in perspective, you know, elk knowledge, do me a favor and and broad stroke, right? (laughs) (laughs) What is that? What is elk knowledge? Because. It, it. I think there's different connotations for different people, dependent on where they are in their journey. But in a right. nutshell, what would you say that elk knowledge is? And then I want to talk about the landscape thing because that's a big one for me.
2: So if I, if I'm nutshelling it, wow. Let me see if I can nutshell it, man. Because really, that that, that knowledge is is understanding that animals' behaviors at that time of year. Um, and that incorporates so much. So that's what I would say is really in a nutshell is understanding that animal, what is driving them, um, what is their communication, what is their weakness, what is their strength, what is their desired location, Uh for the, at a particular time of year and in different places, right? What are their driving needs as well, right? So I think that's pretty much the nutshell because you can go from all kinds of, you can shoot out in all kinds of things from there. You can talk about their language. You can talk about um, their security. You can talk about their word. You can talk about their uh, thermal regulation. You can talk about the type of area they're in. You can talk about, you know, um, uh, the weather conditions, you can talk about where are they in summer, where are they in, you know, uh, uh, you know, pre-fall, where are they at, you know, in, in rut transition, where are they in, in rut, where are they in post rut, where are they, you know, afterwards in late winter, where, you know, what are the things that are driving them at that time? So, because if you understand that and then you understand you know, again, those offshoots of behavior like body language, like reactions, like um, communications. If you understand all of these things and and tie that into that elk knowledge, man, then you can it. You have a better playbook on your opponent. I mean, any time that I'm going to compete against another team or another opponent, what do I want to know? I want to know what are their strengths, what are their weaknesses, what are the habits, if I go to the right what are the how are they going to react to that? If I go to the left how are they going to react to that? If I do this what is going to be the reaction? What can be my counter to that? You know, where am I going to find them most vulnerable? How am I going to make it um me more efficient in defeating them uh no matter what they are going to put out there or whatever the time of year is or whatever their position is. I you know I need to understand those nuances. And that comes from that knowledge. That 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 is so, so huge, man, because now you have a playbook, you have a plan, you have a scouting report, you understand so you can actually make decisions. And, and you hear people talk about all the time, well I'm going to make a gut decision, right? Well Gut decisions are based on experience, man. Mm -hmm. If you're just making – you're just saying, okay, uh, I got to do this because that's my gut decision. Well,
1: if you don't have any basis for that, if you don't have any knowledge on that, it's really hard to to make make that that kind of decision. So with all that, I'm going to rewind us just in in a quick Mm -hmm. statement, right? With all that Joe just said about what that knowledge in a nutshell is, the one thing that is not factored into that is outside influence, hunter pressure, recreator pressure, all these things, right? So. But,
2: but, but at the same time, when you talk about that knowledge and you talk about that behavior, it should be factored in those outside factors should be be the, one of the things that determine the behavior of that animal. Right. Okay. So uh, I'm glad you brought it up though, because I didn't throw it in, but that's, Like I talked about weather and you talk about terrain, you talk about um, dry year, wet year, you talk about good feed, bad feed. You know, you talk about burn, you talk about broken canopy, you talk about people coming in an area, high use, low use. I mean, I'm throwing out all of these other variables
1: that Mm -hmm. you're talking about, right? Yes, but my point to that was you can't wait right? Because that's how we started this is guys are and gals are waiting. You can't right. wait because if you need the base knowledge, right, to go out there so you can make those gut decisions, you, you're, you're even in more hindered when you start looking around, you're going, oh my God, there's 40 cars parked at that trailhead. Or as I was driving up that road to drop in that drainage, there was 10 cars, 75 feet apart and everybody's bugling, right? So, how do you deal with that? If you don't have that base, if you don't start that base now and you are referring to bits and pieces, it's going to be even harder for you to tackle those situations as you get into them. Um, you know, Yeah, one because a lot of people like you know, the example you just
2: gave. A lot of people's reaction when they come to an area, like number one, I don't go to a trailhead anyway, uh, unless I have a different plan with that. But if you come to a trailhead and a lot of people see all these vehicles and I've been in an area where I'm going by camps of, you know, 20 frigging camps in a place, right? Yeah, that's in there. And a lot of people go, that's it. I'm out of here. People, right? And not me. I, I'm not like that. There's a lot of things that depend on what I'm going to do with that. But I know that out of those 20, you know, I was just now up in the Viva doll, which is like um, incredible Yellowstone of New Mexico here. That um, is people very there's few, very few tags that have earned in there and stuff. So I went up there and they're having a cow elk hunt right now. And I went up there to see a buddy of mine and talk to him about different places to hunt. But as I'm going up there, there must be, God, I don't know, there must be 20 camps in this one area. And a lot of people go, like, Oh man, how am I going to get something? But as I'm going in, I'm passing 10, 15 vehicles just going up and down the road, man. You know? So if 10 and 15 out of those 20 camps are just going up and down the road, now there's not that many people Let's in the woods. It, yep. And if there are 10 and 20 vehicles at a trailhead or in an area or a lot of camps, that should tell you, number one, it's a pretty good area, right? There are elk in the area. But how efficient are these people? What is their knowledge set? How much are they really going to be a detriment to you hunting in there, you
1: know. So there's a lot of things on that behavior you have to weigh. And, that. and how, how, do you, throw that out. how do you counterplay what they're doing, mm-hmm. right? Because that's yep. huge. You get in there and you can you can play off of other other hunters and how they're affecting the landscape. In my opinion, you increase your odds. Uh, my my mule deer hunt. Right. I played off of other hunters and watching where the pressure was. And okay, I'm going over here. And it was just it's dang near a deer drive or an elk drive if you do it correctly. Right. And you can't go in with the same repertoire. So you stop, you observe, you listen. And if you hear a particular thing going on, then just sit there and decide, like, what's the best what's, what's my gut decision or what's my gut telling me on this one and, and go with that. But you got to have the knowledge base with it. Um, you can definitely play on it. So with what you just
2: said, I'm jumping back to that nutshell and that knowledge and included in that knowledge of the animal is your knowledge of various strategies and techniques to be able to use and not just be a one trick you know one mm-hmm. trick horse pony right you've got to have multiple strategies and ways to deal with certain situations i love to call dude i love to call he loves but if to I call
0: see...
2: <laughs> but if i see a critter that is in a position where i can get in there and he's occupied and he's thrashing on top or, or he's in a situation where they're bedded and got multiple cows and I can get in there and get set up by just doing the Mohican sneaking. Heck dude, I'm there. Mm-hmm. You know, will I wait on water? Mm-hmm. You know, I've done it. Not a fan of it. Is it effective? Well, oh, shoot. Chav should have, you know, been the one person that killed on us the year before because he has so many animals coming into it. It's effective, probably one of the most effective things to do is to be in a tree stand or in a blind in certain areas. If you want to kill an elk, I'm just so add and it's just not my, it's, yeah. it's not my uh, yeah, yeah, <laughs> I'm
1: it's, the
2: same. it's not what I want to do. Yeah. But will I do it if I have to? Absolutely, I'm going to do whatever it takes. I'm going to do whatever it takes to be able to harvest an animal during that season. And
1: that's a big statement, right? Because the, you know, and I say it all the time, right? The sex appeal with elk is to get out there and and pipe off bugles and chuckles and, you know, air quote challenge bugles. That is what everyone wants to do. We all want to have them screaming at us. We all want that. And I don't know. I don't know if there's anything better in, 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 in yeah. life. <laughs> Less, you know what I mean? Less loved ones and, and certain things. I don't know that there's anything better than that, but being able to say, Hey, it's not working and have the basis and repertoire to fall back on. It's a huge yeah. thing, right? I mean, that is, that is massive and it's hard, hard, hard to get away from something that you're so passionate about when it comes to calling them. Be that with cow calls or chuckles or raking or whatever it is, you know, you gotta adjust to what the animal's telling you to adjust to. I think I think the reason for me it's not is
2: because I have hunted the largest percentage of my success on early season, right? When yeah, there's going to be times that you hit one of those animals at the right time and that's going to be happening. And And I get to experience more of that when I'm guiding on a later time. But when I'm hunting myself early season, you know, there's so many times that it's not that situation. It's me bringing animals in silent or they're giving me low-level responses. And in fact, I I would say that a lot of people... And it's weird that I heard this in so many places across the West that a lot of people were saying that, and not always there's, I mean, it happens, but a lot of people were saying, man, all we were getting was, you know, just a little growl, just a little chuckle that everything was like low level, quiet responses. And, you know, if you are one of those early season hunters that is used to that and understands that, then it's not as it's not as hard to deal with, right and I think that uh you know for myself, my thing is not so much do I do I want to hear him screaming oh, I love it but what I want to do is bring an animal to me. And I don't care if he comes in quiet. I don't care if he comes in screaming. I don't care. I would love for him to come in screaming because if he's doing that, I know that, number one, he's not putting on the, you know, the sneak to come in and see what's Mm -hmm. going on, right? He's a little bit more dumber at that time if he's doing that because he's just, you know, (laughs) he's got his own agenda at the time, right? But, you know, I will take it any way that that animal is going to respond, Mm -hmm. right? So that's something that... Uh, I think is a huge skill set and a huge thing to be able, I I just see too many people being lost when elk are not being, you know, screaming.
1: I With our hunt, right. You know, Mike and I were out and, I spotted a bull. I don't know. He was across that, that drainage. And I'm like, well, they ain't talking, buddy. And he's bedded, you know, looks like spot and stalk. And he kind of looked over at me like, are you kidding me now? You know? And I'm like, dude, what, what choice do we have in this besides mm-hmm. going after him this way? I mean, they're not talking. That dude is bedded there. You know, he doesn't know we're here. He's facing away. The wind is perfect. And just making those adjustments um, on the fly. Shoot, my what was that when I got home? I don't know if it was when I got home or not. And I went back up. I spent three days, and all I could do was walk around looking for bedded elk. That was it. That okay. was the hunt because there was there was absolutely no vocalization. Um, it was, oh man, I hate even saying it because I feel like I'm making excuses. But it was, it was just crowded, man. And and you get numbers like that; those elk aren't they're not piping. I mean, you you got to really, you got to be in a really they're, good area. Now,
2: and let's say something, though, because when we say they're not vocal, um, that's not necessarily true. It means they're not, you know, we they're not location
1: yeah. viewed, right? Right, okay? right, We're not here Because,
2: they, yeah, they are making low-level responses a lot of times. And right. a lot of times they are responding in some way, whether they're coming into us or or whether they're, you know, doing a little bit of a growl or whether they're mewing You know, we had that happen this year. Guys are like, really? Mm -hmm. (laughs) That was a bull? You know, they think there's a cow coming. Next thing you look up and there's a bull that's mewing
1: that's coming into them. Mm -hmm. Right. So. Mind blowing. Because, but but again, it goes back to what we expect that Mm -hmm. scenario to look like. Right. We have, we, I don't know if it's the the hype of it all you know the the industry aspect of it has has glorified that to a point where i really feel like it's hindered folks on their approach
0: oh, and there's guys well, that are
1: immensely successful with it but right the other side of that is that you know 95 to 5% deal and and i'm yeah. saying that that's half the reason
2: yeah no absolutely and so if if we if we go back to what where we were on this as far as, you know, the preparedness um, and when people are doing this and when they are getting prepared and how they're getting prepared, you know, you're absolutely right. Now, everybody listening here has, you know, they're listening to us because they love elk hunting. Guys, you love elk hunting. That's why you're listening to this, right? and i'm sure you practice with your bow like crazy man i know that you're working on your gear that you're working on your equipment but if you have and and not just you and i'm i'm just saying you as everybody in general when you take a look at that a 95% failure rate when you look at that and yet people have the most advanced equipment are shooting the best the farthest <laughs> yep. and are the most comfortable in their gear and able to go deeper, farther, longer than ever in history. Yep. When when I started doing this, when I started um, bow hunting elk back in the 80s, uh, outfitters and guides really didn't even want to have bow oh, hunters nice. hunting elk, right? Because of the efficiency and and there just weren't that many and there were a lot of reasons for it, but now where it's come to now, people have become so efficient and so much more efficient now with it, but we have the same success rate, the same success rate with, the, and the <laughs> and most, <scratch> rate <laughs> yeah. So so what hasn't changed? What hasn't changed? And and I can tell you, man. It's it's because doing the same thing, we got 95% of the people doing the same thing out there and expecting that different result. And you know what? You might hit the lottery. You might get some place, there might be a rut on, and you might get into that and you make it happen. Awesome. But what if that's not there? I'm not saying that that's not a blast and it's not a skill you have to have or a skill you can use, but if it's all you have you are now giving anybody who has more skills than that you're giving them a head start in a 100 meter dash right you're you're like saying okay I'm I this is all I'm going to use because this is all I expect and if that's it, you had better manage your expectations of
1: how successful you're going to be. Well, that's important anyway with this dang endeavor, right? Is is that tempered expectation going into the woods? And I think that that's and I've seen it. I've seen it in myself. I've talked to people. And what happens if you don't temper that expectation is, you know, you're expecting the scream fest or, you know, these herded up animals and two or three days in. You gun got, got your butt kicked and you got a seven day hunt. Well, guess what happens that last three or four days? Guys are putting in 40 to 50% of the effort that they went out with. And I'm watching people do it. I'm watching guys sit there with a pot of coffee in front of the campfire in the morning. Yeah. Back to right. camp. They've already eaten, changed their clothes and are ready to climb in the sack when I'm returning to camp. And I'm like, what are you guys doing? oh man, it was a rough one. Well, okay. So now you've put in all this effort and time and money and shooting and working out and spent money on the base camp and elk nut app and all these things, but now you're only going to give 40 to 50%, right? And it's right. just like, dang, yeah. man, that's a rough one for me to watch.
2: That's so funny because you say that because I just put out a, a Moto Monday piece today Um that you know, starts out saying, you know, success does not care how hard you work or how much time you put in. It doesn't care how much you've spent. Success does not care about any of that. If you're going to succeed, you've got to be that dog on the bone, man. Mm-hmm. You have to be persistent. And I hear a lot of stories about people that come out there and day one, day two, day three, they're gung ho, man. About day three, they hit that hump day, right? Yep. And and then next thing I know, I hear uh, so many stories about people that go home early. You know, they waited three hundred and fifty days to go do this <laughs> to go home early. And, yeah, That's to what go you home waited early, for, man. man.
1: That's what you waited yeah. for. Yeah,
2: and and then they get home and they're like, ah, oh, why did I do that, man? I want, you know. Now they can't wait for, and they're already counting down. You know, and and look, we hunted at a difficult time. In a difficult area because of some of the obstacles that were thrown at us, you know, just with epic blowdown. Oh, geez, Louise. But in and we were having encounters, but we were having to work our butt off for those encounters. Mm-hmm. It wasn't and remember, elk hunting is a it's a game of odds, man. And that means the more opportunities you have, you're going to blow so many of those opportunities unless you're very, very efficient. The more efficient you are at finishing the more that, you know that you'll be able to just close on an, opp- uh, an opportunity right mm-hmm. but if you're not you got to have multiples and man we were having single opportunities per day we weren't having multiples like that and even though that we were in this kind of situation i had called in an elk for luis that thank god he missed i had called in <laughs> a bull for <laughs> i had called a, a bull for gilbert that and and here we are man One more step, needs one more step. Mm -hmm. That bull's at 12 yards, one more step because he's not going to take a marginal shot. His goal is not to just get an arrow into an animal. His goal is to have a responsible ethical kill. So huge pat on his back that that arrow never left his bow. We have a bull at 25 yards from Manano. Same thing, one more step, right? So in all of that time with everything going on, it's day 10 of a 10-day hunt. Day 10, last morning, when I call in my bull, day 10, right? And that's why I tell, man, I mean, we got guys that are on a seven-day hunt, five-day hunt. They go home on day three because they're dejected. And and I, I don't know how I can get this across that you can hunt for whatever nine times 24 hours is. And then you add another few hours in there. And in 40
1: seconds, (laughs) in a moment, everything changes, man. And and honestly, it may, that situation may present itself on day four. And that may be the one opportunity. That's the mistake. I don't know if it was a mistake. I'm saying it was a mistake because it's my perspective, right? That was the mistake I made on day two this year, day two of season Here in Colorado, we got into a bunch of animals. They were screaming. I knew they weren't going to continue screaming the way they were, right? We just, right place, right time. And I probably should have pushed harder. And I didn't because that was day two. And I always tend to look at those situations like, well, hey, buddy, that might have been your only opportunity for the entire season, right? It wasn't. I had a bunch of opportunities but you got to keep that in perspective when when those oh, yeah. opportunities, when those moments are there and that going back to what we've been saying, that's all based on the knowledge you have and what you can fall back on when S is going wrong. Right. I mean, or, or going right. But then you find yourself in an unknown situation. Oh no,
2: absolutely, man. Because I, I, I just got done telling a hunter this, man. Um, I was just guiding just a week ago, and I tell these people, man, they're like, "Well, if I see, you know, I see a real nice animal on day one, you know, I still have four more days." Well,
1: mm-hmm. you, Do you- can
2: flip that around, man. Let's let's just take that and look at it in the mirror and say. Okay. Now you've gone four days and you have an opportunity on the fifth day. I mean, you can take that image and put it anyway, because a lot of times that one opportunity that you get, because I mean, you're like, oh, they're screaming, they're going off and, and you're like, oh man. And you have a bull come in and you're like, well, I, I, you know, I'll pass on that bull cause I'll get one better. Is that a bull you would have killed on day five after not having had an opportunity? If so, you had better think about now. Look, every person has to gauge that for themselves, right? But I'm just telling you, if you have not put an animal on the ground, or if you're somebody that's still working on your efficiency as an elk hunter, you gotta think about things like that because a lot of times your day one, and I don't know why, is sometimes the best day, and then everything goes to crap. Maybe it's because you know it's the first day of the season there hasn't been all the pressure the animals haven't started getting moving around there could be a lot of that right but i've even seen it when it was my day 1 of the second part of the hunt and you go out there and it's like your best day and you're like okay well i can hold out because i still have another 5 days there right
1: yeah, to buddy. hunt and
2: Good i want to hunt
1: Yeah. And then all of a sudden everything goes to crap, right? It it goes back to what's the outside influence that lend itself to having that A plus day on day one or day two that may Mm -hmm. have not been there. Right. I mean, that's that's a big deal, too. Right. So you got to weigh it. It's like when I when I (laughs) I toiled over that raghorn that I came upon bedded. Right. And I'm looking at him and I'm like, man, that's a rag. And I mean, it was three minutes of me going, what's a raghorn? I really don't want to shoot a raghorn. Am I going to shoot this rag? And then I drew back on him and I didn't like the shot placement. And when I decided, when I decided I was taking that bull, well, guess the helicopter's there and that bull is boogering out. That opportunity, not, you know, that was one of, what did I have? Let's see. One. I had, I had. Three legit opportunities to arrow an animal if all things went right out of mm-hmm. 13 days. Three opportunities out of 13 days on my hunt. That ain't that much, right? And I'm talking to people on the mountain and they're like, I haven't seen an elk at all. There's no elk here. There's no right. elk. And I'm seeing elk and hearing elk and in elk Every yeah, right. single flipping day, man. You yeah. know what I mean? And I'm like, dang. So I, I'm talking to myself and I'm I'm going, you know, with their perspective. I'm like, and all I can say is, dang, poor bastards. And I want to tell everybody where they're at, but I'm hunting a little tiny timber <laughs> patch, right? That is not, especially for where I was hunting and the numbers that are in mm-hmm. that landscape. Three opportunities in 13 days is nothing. I mean, it is I might as well have one opportunity on day one with with that kind of odds, you know. Right.
2: Yeah, absolutely. And you have to take advantage of that when you get there. Right. So let's let's jump back. Let's go back to what we're talking about as far as the, the preparedness. Right. And like i said when we take a look at our podcast when everything spikes you know to get that knowledge that what we're talking about right now to understand all this and to get yourself in position because here's the thing that i always hear from people that their number one thing is is how to find and locate elk right well we just answered that in the nutshell If you understand their behaviors, if you understand that animal and that nutshell of knowledge in that, then you're going to be able to do like what I did when, you know, we went and pulled somebody's elk. I'm driving down the road in a unit and I look over to one side and I'm like, whoa, there it is. There it is, right there. Just by looking from the road and looking in, I knew that that was going to be a location to find out. And sure enough, we go in there, and animals are going crazy in that location. Uh, I, I knew it not only according to what it looked like, but where it was placed accordingly to pressure. Mm-hmm. You know where other people most likely weren't accessing it. You know, you know how it was hid away. There was just certain things, so that it was in that knowledge set. So. That takes that time to learn. How do you learn that? Well, look, if you're going to learn it every time you go elk hunting every year for five, seven days, if you're going to do it for five days, if you hunt for five days, for five years, you have less than a month of El Cunning experience. And what you really need to do is augment that. You, there is, are so many resources. You're listening to one right now, right? You, you know, you got Chris Rowe out there. You got Paul Medell out there. You got Dirk Durham out there. You have uh, Corey Jacobson out there. There are... and And... And look, I just need people that are evident on platforms, Mm -hmm. man, there are some incredibly knowledgeable dudes in every state, man, and every community that you can learn things from, man, if you just get out there, but, you know, forums, eh. You know, I mean, the only thing that's good for is if you end up locating somebody that you can DM, become friends with, and then learn some of that from Unless them. Unless you but,
1: like getting beat up and just want to sit there and take some <laughs> abuse. I mean, there's people that like that, too. <laughs> <laughs> there, are,
2: there are some people that are what, for punishment, man.
1: <laughs> they just like a good
2: fight, you yeah. know. But, yeah, you know, that's why I said the other day, you, you did your post on, on the guns. Remember you said your 7 mil mm. or your 300, yeah, right?
1: Yeah.
2: It's so, right, I had to, but I was like... What about the 6.5? Yeah.
1: <laughs> it, it's funny, right? Because I asked that stuff. I, it wasn't a question, I guess, right? It was. It's a yeah. pondering for me because it's like, man, I'm shooting one that, I mean, literally dropping dimes at 900 yards. You're talking a half-inch group, and this is no joke. Mm-hmm. And then a 300 PRC, which I'm not as accurate with on that rifle because I just started shooting it. But that sucker's running a 212-grain bullet. Right. So I'm like, man, I got knockdown power. I got this reach out and stretch, you know, and get your thing. And it's funny because what you spur from people is is pretty interesting (laughs) when we start talking hunting in general. Right. And there's it's so opinionated, man. It's funny. It is funny. I love the experts though.
2: And I'm like, you put two holes through the lungs, and you know, done deal. (laughs) Done deal. (laughs) It's a done deal. So uh, but you know when when we when we take a look at at, you know the places people can get this knowledge out there, it's so, man, there's so much out there. And then you take a look like you take my course that's been for fifty dollars, and that's not happening very much longer here. but but what if my course was two hundred dollars? What if my course was four hundred dollars, right? What if it was that amount? Now, I want you to take a look at what we drop in gas to go scout, what we drop in uh, a jacket, you know, what we drop in, you know, uh, all these different kinds of pieces of equipment.
1: Joe's cringing now. (laughs)
2: Yeah. That that really never really get to get involved in the actual reason for harvesting an animal, Right you know, and, you know, people pay, gosh, man, you know, I I see what they pay for guides and for outfitters, you know, because they want to be in a situation where they have an opportunity, but they have that opportunity. They have the opportunity to even more than that. They have the opportunity to feed themselves through knowledge, man. And if they just really work at it and, and look, I'm telling you, if, if you go out there and you get anything and everything you can, if it repeats itself so, that means more is going to sink in and go through it, go over it, own it, you know, learn it, master it. Uh, make I, it your was, own. Yeah, make it your own, yeah. man. And Because now you take that now, you take that kind of base. And now you go hunting for five days. What you're doing now is you're reaffirming things and you're growing beyond that from the actual uh, encounters that you're having. Because Guy, you, me, Chav, RC, all of us every year get taught something from these animals. Mm -hmm. Because every year something different happens
1: in a different way because of all the variables, right? That's it. I mean, just, just the landscape selection, right? Going from one unit to the other. Um, you're going to see a difference from one state to the other. I mean, from you know, going from here to New Mexico on our hunt, back here, and then back to New Mexico, right? Yeah. The it was it was 180s just about just about 180s until my second trip to New Mexico, and it was like okay, uh, been here, done that this year. <laughs> yeah. You know where they're yeah. where they're talking, and then it's silence. Um, and and going back to what you said about. The guide thing, right? And I'm not saying anything negative about an outfitted hunt or a guided hunt or anything like that. No. If I you make at, it a profession yeah, for me. <laughs> yeah. If you look at our camp, right, with, with the adventure guys, most of those guys, that has been their experience. And it hasn't been a slam dunk. So now they're like, okay, I'm taking this into my own hands and do the lights that were going off in that camp and in those woods and on that mountain. Was just for me. It was phenomenal. It was just like, oh dang, right? Like you know, we have guys that that have harvested four and five bulls that mm-hmm. didn't have the base that, in my opinion, a guy that's chasing an animal should have. And it was it was impressive, but it was also a very interesting contrast for someone that hasn't been in that position um, mm-hmm. to see that, right? And and my point is, you're giving. You're putting everything else in someone's hands. I'm a control freak. I ain't doing it. I don't care. Right. Like, I don't care who I'm with. I am controlling the situation the best I can with my knowledge base. What I learned from being with those animals. Man, I I don't. Again, nothing bad against it, but go and be the captain of your destiny with these animals. That animal is going to mean, at least in my opinion, is going to mean a whole heck of a lot more when you grind through it, you know, two, three, four seasons, whatever it takes. And you and you lay that animal down. I'm going to
2: I'm going to jump off to another little segue here. That's kind of the same thing. And, you know, I. I. I see it, how much time people put into research of where they're going to put in to be able to draw,
1: Mm
2: -hmm. right? All this time and everything on where they're going to put in to draw, hopefully to put them in a situation where they're going to have animals and be able to be more successful. I then see how much they work on the logistics. I then see how much they work on a lot of people working on that. Like you said, the fitness part of it right? Because they've heard how difficult it is. And rightly so. The farther you can go, the the quicker you can go, the better you can chase these critters. Absolutely. I see how much time people put in for the shooting. But in all of this, and when I educate people, I've had a chance now to work with two years of Hunt Wars athletes that were coming for that competition. We've had the opportunity to coach other hunters that we were doing here. And then all these people that I work with on training in different areas and stuff uh, for elk hunting, they all come with incredible shooting skills. They come with great camo. They come with great gear. And they come with all this stuff. And they can't call a lick. It's.
1: <laughs> it's I it's, shouldn't it's laugh like, when I know what you're talking about.
2: <laughs> dude, it's, it's like it's like going to walk in a completely full gym of people and, and blinding yourself and, and trying to find somebody in there, man. It, it's, uh, it, it really, that's the one thing that stands out to me because listen, y'all, I'm going to tell you like when we talk about knowledge of the animals, If you can learn to speak the language, you're going to learn a lot about them really quick because you're going to be in their presence. And if you're in the presence, you're going to learn the animal, right? Um, You're going to find out where you're able to, you know, uh, where they're going to respond, where they're not going to respond. And that's going to show where they're located, the areas they like, why they like it. So it's going to be all of that that you're going to grow from it. But if you are not putting the time into your calling technique, your calling ability and the understanding of that elk language, then you are handicapping yourself straight up, man. You know, uh, I go out after 10 days and on the morning of the 10th day. I understand because I understand behavior that I've got a group that is just bedded down in a drainage. I go down and I set up in my knowledge of what I know a setup should look like and what it should be. I put out just a little scenario of where I'm trying to sound like a couple of cows and a little bit of a breeding sequence because I know that that's something that could pull them at that time of year. And, And within... Five minutes, I have elk running at me, and in 40 seconds, I've got a bull down on the ground. That that quick, and after 10 days of all this hunting, things changed like that. And it changed because I was not working on a chance happening. I went to an area that I knew elk was, and I pulled that elk to me. Now, I want to tell you something, though. They never made a sound, but were running into me. They never made a sound. So there's a lot of lessons in that. But the biggest lesson is, is that I had the language set. I had the understanding of what language to use, where to use it, and how to use it. And I have also that if I do get responses, I understand what those responses mean and how to react and how to respond to those responses Mm -hmm. as well. So guy that was the most evident and it was evident with our own crew right even after the two months of coaching that coming in there that was the most difficult thing for them to grasp right
1: oh absolutely Mm -hmm. i want to get some visuals sorry um and and there's times where it takes that 10 days to learn the different landscape, to learn what those elk are doing, to understand what the pressures doing. That light – and I'm just going back to people leaving after three or four days. That light may not have come on. Um, it, you, you, know, you don't realize it and then you get in there and you do the right things at the right time because now you've been around it and you're like, oh, that didn't work. This didn't work. This didn't work. Process of elimination. Let me try this. Right? Even yeah. if you're pulling off of a newly acquired knowledge base. Yeah. You can make it happen, but you gotta stick with it, right? You gotta stick with it. And and that was one of the things with our camp, right? It was just grind, 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 grind. And it wasn't it wasn't pretty. I mean, shoot, when when Mike and I went up to that high country spot and we got into that blowdown, and I should have him send me those videos. I mean, we are we are literally climbing up 10 foot of deadfall, walking out on limbs. Yeah to get to the other side, you know, seven, eight, nine feet in the air. Right. And I ain't a little dude. And I'm like, man, if I fall, I'm done here. And I mean, you're talking steep. You look at some of those, the, the hillsides and it was, it was just like, are you kidding me? There's that much blowdown up here. Right. But we stuck with it and Mike had opportunities, you know, and you know, the situation with, with Elk Bros Adventures is we're, we're not guides. Right. So we have to let our guys who were who are mentoring make the decisions right wrong right. or indifferent and, and with our input along the way and the decision was let's get the heck out of here <laughs> 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 but then going back to what you said about landscape and understanding the landscape and you know how the pressure and everything shoot i looked at that map when mike and i were driving down a road and and as fast as i could say turn here we were in the elk right we just right. we drove up that road And we found them. Um, Were they easy elk? No, not at all, because they weren't very vocal. The vocal elk were on private, um, but we were in the right spot, you know, and it just it was a difficult hunt, man. I just, you know, sticking with it. And I know and that's one of the things that stood out. Was that that bond that's created, right? When you're trekking the woods in our situation and you're working and you see a guy working and you're like, okay, this guy's here to grind. Oh um, mm-hmm. man. Oh man. I don't know what made me bring that up. It just, I started getting flashes of Mike working his butt off. It was awesome.
2: You know, I, I think though that for anybody that listens to us and, and that got involved with us, the, the one message that is always there is we're going to keep grinding, right? That's going to, That's going to be the given with that. And then talking about that area that you guys were in is that, and here was the tough part that I saw about that area was you had better be in an area like that, an efficient killer, in order to get it done in mm-hmm. an area
1: like that. Oh, absolutely.
2: Because it, it's not the type of area that's going to provide lower hanging fruit. Mm-mm. It's not, the, I mean, and in, in the way that it was with the animals and the number of animals and where they were located, you you know, uh, the the less efficient you are with your set, with your ability levels to close and to get that done and to get an animal in, the farther that opportunity really of success gets in an area like that and that's something that other people have to consider and think about too because you know somebody asked me about that and we talked about it on one of our shows was you know somebody said well you guys talk about not leaving elk to find elk right and you know they're like well you guys were leaving elk in some areas to go to other places you got to understand and that's that's the thing that I was trying to convey to people is, is that sometimes you also have to read like, you know, how do, how do I compare this to something else? It's like coming to a lake and you got two lakes, you got one lake on the left side and one lake on the right side. And, you know, there's only, you know, two trout swimming around in that lake over there and you see somebody dumping a stock over in the other one, which one are you going to go to? Well, if these ones are really big, I might just, and there's nobody there and they'll pressure. Maybe I'll go there and try to get one of those big ones. But my it's, you know, I had really be on my game as a fisherman to get the, one mm-hmm. of those two fish out of there. Whereas I can go over to this one over here and throw in just about anything and at least
1: have an opportunity to hook one of those boogers. So well, I mean, it, it's as easy as, you know, the situation I was just talking about with Mike and I, we, mm-hmm. we get up there, we climb up to where, you know, there was a bull bugling and and he had been on him a day or two before. And right as we walk in that bull's bugling about the same bench, well, we start walking mm-hmm. up that bench and I'm like, dude, this is rough. Like you don't hardly have a shot opportunity. We'll be lucky if we don't, you know, blow him out before we even see him as so thick in here. Why would I stay there and hunt that animal? Right. Why would right. I stay there and hunt that animal? Let's go find a better piece of landscape that we can get on. That's going to provide better opportunity. So, you yep. know, we can go get that trout, um, Yeah. you know, and it doesn't mean that it's going to be any easier on the lake on the, on the right side, but there's more opportunity. That's kind of the low hanging fruit there, right? Is, yeah. is more opportunity in that scenario. Right. That's what you want. Cause if you could put yourself in numbers, you're more likely going to notch that tag. Now, if you're chasing, and I'm, I'm a fool for doing it, you could say, but there's been seasons where I'm chasing one bull. I see that right. bull or I hear that bull and that's the bull I'm going after come hell or high water, but I'm okay with walking away with the unnotched tag. You better be okay with that. If you're going to fish the lake on the left for that, you know, 12 pound Brown is, yeah. you know, where, where we're at with that. I mean, it just, yeah. Um, and, and you're going to learn a lot in the process, oh. you know, you're going to and,
0: and maybe, I, you know, I
1: hear, maybe, oh. maybe because uh, yeah, maybe. frustration and, and <laughs> what people's expectations are, it takes the learning out of it. Right. Because as soon as frustration comes in, not only are we missing the lessons, but we're also ignoring the lessons that we've already learned because now yeah. we're in this desperation mode. So maybe. Yeah, you got to keep. You got to keep your head on tight when it comes to this game, because you can yeah. you can lose it all. I mean, you can lose it all and not understand why you didn't lose it, especially if you're not honest with yourself about it. And most. <sighs> most folks aren't really right, because we make I got my excuses for season, right? The the number of people, the muzzleloaders, the recreators, um, I didn't want to kill a rag until I decided I wanted to kill a rag. That's all my excuses. Like, as I say this stuff, that's me just being full of shit, right? That is me making, those are my excuses, whether they're excuses or reasons, right? Mm -hmm. But my head was in my game the entire time. Like, I I know if I'm going to walk away and not notch a tag, well, there was a portion of season Joe and I talked about. We won't talk about that, that, you know, whatever. (laughs) That one was interesting. But yeah, that's uh I don't know that but you, you up, folks are always learning.
2: You brought up the word honesty, right? So that's what I want everybody listening to to be right now is I want all of you to really stop and be honest with yourself and in in a couple ways. Like, what is your expectation? What do you I mean, look, I know every person that goes out in the woods, wants to notch a tag. Otherwise they wouldn't be walking around the woods, carrying their boat with a tag in their pocket. I mean, it's kind of like the scoreboard in a ball game. Everybody wants to win the ball game, right? I mean, that's why they have the scoreboard, but you want to understand, okay, well, what is your expectation? All right. And then you gotta, you gotta really ask your and be honest with yourself. How, how much are you willing to work to make that expectation happen? And then and it's a lot of like guys that are trying to lose weight or get in shape or in anything, man. You know, you set that goal and then you determine, well, okay, how much work are you really willing to put in to accomplish that goal? And then now that you've said, okay, this is how much I'm willing to do, ask yourself, have you done that, you know, or are you waiting till the last minute? Are you really focusing on the things, on those things that aren't? The fun things that aren't the sexy on those things that you have to really, really work at, man, that you have to spend time on. Because I, you know, when we talked about outfitters, guides, and people DIY, well, there's a huge market for people on that outfitting and guiding because Mm -hmm. there are people that don't have time and don't really want to put in the time invested to learn an area, to learn the animal, to do all the things, to be able to have the experience. So therefore, they, hire people with that knowledge set to help put them in that opportunity, right? But if you're the ones that want that DIY and you want it beyond a camp out or beyond hiking through the woods with your bow, and you truly are driven to be able to and passionate about taking, you know, harvesting one of these incredible majestic animals, then you really have to be honest with yourself about the process. And if you are waiting until, you know, August to get prepared and to line things out, to work on your knowledge set, you're behind the eight ball, Mm -hmm. man. I mean, you know, Look, you get done with the season this year, you go on a hiatus. All of us do, man. We got to pay attention. We got, we owe time to family. We got to reconnect. We have to let ourselves go from all that stuff we've been addicted to for so long. And, you know, we've just got to let go for a little while and re energize. But, man, come January 1, you know, I mean, that's when, that's when a lot of people, man, in January 1, they're really trying to, you know, that's those new year resolutions and everything like that. But uh, man, I'm just saying that you start from then and break down, be honest, where are your weakest areas? Where are the areas that could help you the most? And I'm just going to, I'm going to tell you, man, if you work on you're calling year round. And that means it's going to be a little bit of investment in some diaphragm calls because you're going to blow them out. You're going to wear them out, but you're also, if you're blowing them out and you're wearing them out, you're going to learn how to be less dependent on, you know, on really putting, uh, pressure on that reed and using uh, air control and using a little bit, you know, getting a little bit wider latex and using that English and controlling that, that latex better and better, being able to sound quieter, being able to sound louder, being able to not just make one sound, you know, getting so that you understand the nuances of the different sounds and are able to make them. If you work on that from then all the way through, I guarantee you that's going to be like, One thing that you don't even have to think about when you get out there, it's just going to come natural for you, right? And it's going to put you in a great situation. It is going to change the game. And get and learn. I don't care if you learn from us. I don't care who you go to. There are incredible. Just learn. Because when you're learning and you become more efficient and you become more ethical and responsible in your shot placement and 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 because you're getting one you're not just trying to get and I think that's where all that comes from guy I think there's a desperation in some people to get an arrow in an animal mm-hmm. or to get a bullet in an animal and they make some marginal shots because of that right and I hear that every year yep if they're doing the things to put themselves constantly in a better situation, it helps to eliminate that because it takes a lot of that off your shoulders.
1: Let's let's talk about that real quick. Okay. Let's talk about marginal shots and how we can work on that. So, you know, going back to my deal, I, you know, toiled with the rag, he's bedded, he's hard, hard quartered away. And I drew back on him. Right. And, you know, I've taken bedded deer. um, No, no issue, not a question in my head, but I'm looking at this, you know, 700 pound animal, And I'm like, man, I got to put it in the behind his ribs and hope that I just do enough damage where he drops after a few yards when he spooks. Right. How, how can folks practice on marginal shots? Cause when I see people, you know, posting things like that and they're at the range, it's this square block target. The lucky ones Uh will have, you know, a a third elk or something out there, a foam target deer, and everything is always square. Now, Mm -hmm. not everybody has the opportunity to go out and really look at, you know, these big giant animals and say, that's broadside, that's slightly quartered, that's hard quartered away.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: What are some things that folks could do to work on visualizing that shot with that animal so we're not taking marginal shots because you hear it all the time, right? He was perfectly broadside. Mm -hmm. Yeah, nine times out of ten, he wasn't.
2: Yeah. Yeah. And I I think a lot of that is they get stuck. Number one, they kind of look at the head of the animal and then they start looking at the kill zone and they haven't really looked at how that animal is set up. They're coming from the wrong end instead of starting with the legs coming up, you know, because those two front legs, that's the root of your shot right there anyway. So, I mean, you should actually, if you've already determined that you're going to take the shot, you don't need to worry about the head of it. You know, you're going to catch that in your peripheral anyway. You want to look up the Look at those legs. How are they? You know, are those two front legs look like one leg? Now you got perfect broadside. If those two legs so that, you know, you're seeing the opposite side leg back behind, you got a quartering away and it tells you how much. And that's the leg you want to shoot for. You don't want to shoot for the onside forward leg because now you're only going to get one lung and you're going to punch out the chest. You know, if you're looking at it and from the front, you're seeing two legs well you in depending on the angle of how you see it now you can even look at the bat legs a little bit there you can see how the shoulders are turned because you have that you've got that frontal to a hard quartering to you on the front side i uh, unless you are a very seasoned uh, um, elk hunter that really understands the anatomy of the animal and you've done it a lot and you have a setup that you know is going to get the job done. I don't even think about a front quarter to a frontal oh man for anybody that doesn't have even... If there's any doubt there don't you don't belong it. in that group man right. and so that's going to put you out a broadside to a quartering away you know like that and but how do you shoot that How do you on on flat surfaces all the time well you do the same thing that you're going to do on the animal if you're now going on the right side of your target and you can see that front bull'seye just like it's that front kill on that animal, now you're looking at what part of this target do I have to punch my arrow through in order to drive that through there. So now I'm actually shooting at the corner of my target mm-hmm. from where I'm at, right? I'm not shooting at that at that bullseye. And and that's one thing that I love the 3D shoots, but they get everybody focusing most of the time oh. on that. Part on that shoulder area, you know, and, and that's not what I want to do as an elk Cunner, Right. And then they they look at it so much that it doesn't matter the angle when you're shooting that in 3d, you're still shooting for that same spot when it should actually be outside of the scoring zone. Yeah, if you're far on the right side. Right? right. I mean, You're, you're really trying to drive through, had that, had there been a line going down inside that animal, you're trying to cross that where it hits inside there, right? That way you're driving it through both lungs and the vitals again, almost like an opposite leg type deal. Um, And the other thing that you can do to start getting yourself ready for that is man, just either pull up YouTube videos of an elk walking, stop it and go, where's my shot? right? Where's that opposite leg? Where's that other leg? If I am That experienced person, I'm taking that front right inside the top shoulder, or I'm taking a frontal, where is that at? Understand how to identify that. Look at it over and over and over again, because even though you think you have it, when you get in that situation and things get stressful, a lot of that goes right out your crack (laughs) of your butt, man. And so, you you know, you've got to be so that you look at it and it's just like identifying you understand it and you see it. Right, So there's some techniques that they can use like that. I mean, even pictures in a magazine. I took my son-in-law through a magazine before I took him out. Where's the kill? Boom. Where's the kill? Boom. Where's the kill? Boom.
1: You know? And take, you know, one of the things I like to do is is take the block and turn that block to where it's, you know, the the edge of the diamond will say is facing me, right? Mm -hmm. So I'm not looking at a flat side. And I'm going to present different angles. And in my head, what that does, if you have a knowledge base of anatomy, it'll tell you what you just hit. Right. What path did that arrow take with that, you know, that line um, that that arrow just went into it and start exploring that. And then, like Joe said, you you couple that with, you know, watching those videos and understanding that, hey, that hard quarter shot, I might have got one lung there. I might have got one lung. I don't have any right. arrow here you know, and, and really start to weigh that into whether or not you should be taking that shot. Uh, a matter of fact, I had somebody message me, was it last night or the night before and, and another group had posted, you know, where would you shoot? And it was like one through 12, you know, going down the animal and then a through H or something like that. And I'm like, dude, G3, G3, G4. And he was like, well, can I ask why? And I'm like, well, look at the anatomy. So I send him a picture of anatomy on this, you know, basically this this quartering two. And we'll say it was, I would take the shot. Um, Mm -hmm. I wouldn't question taking the shot. And he's like, I never thought of that. I need to work on my anatomy. And I'm like, well, where would you shoot? He's going behind the shoulder. And I'm like, well, how the hell are you going to go behind the shoulder? Yeah, that bull's going to die. Potentially. That, you know, it may be two days before you find that bull, right? You got to yeah, Or you're not going to find
2: it. Yeah, yeah, if you're lucky, you're right? And, and you can even place a perfect, and that's why I, like, for example, I don't shoot at the golden triangle. That's why even broadside, I don't try to take out a, with a heart shot. That's not what I'm trying to do. I'm going up the back leg going mid-body, three to four inches back away from the shoulder because I want double lung. I want my air going through that animal as fast as possible and that animal is going to go down within 20 to 30 seconds. Whereas, yes, if I shoot that animal and I drive one right there you know, in that golden triangle, that animal is going to die. Absolutely, an animal is going to die. But I'm not able to tell you how many times as a guide, as a hunter, as a buddy of hunters, I've seen people shoot that shot they go to run shear that arrow off it doesn't go out the other side because it might have hit inside the leg on the other side and they end up with an arrow shear bleeding internally that animal goes off for because it's getting out like a a bat out of Hades. for some reason when you hit that area in there and you hit like opposite leg and they feel that commotion going on you'll see them hump and they just haul like like A gunshot, Mm -hmm. man. And I've seen them go, you know, 800 yards before they go down. Because think about an animal that runs at how many miles an hour? How long does it take them to get a certain distance? And now there's no blood because when they shear that arrow, that flap of skin in there is making them bleed internally. So again, I'm not teaching necessarily just to kill the animal. I'm teaching also to recover the animal. That's huge. So that's one of the reasons that I that I that I choose that area that I do, right? And and like on your diamond target that you're talking about, what people have to start doing is this is yeah, you have a target on this side, but you should know your target well enough because you're looking at the angles of it on that diamond that you know where that other bullseye is in that other corner where it's at and you're trying to drive your arrow through that right so where do i have to shoot it on this side to be able to drive it through and you know and also is not every angle that an animal is in like you take your bedded bull could you have and i don't know i mean i wasn't in the situation so i wasn't there but could i have you know cow called behind me and made that booger stand up to look at me and turn more broadside. That, was dude, that, was,
1: that dude was 50 yards away from me. Mm-hmm. Calf calling and didn't flinch. I mean, did, he could care less. And then once the helicopter came into earshot of us, he could care even less as to what was going on besides that helicopter. Right. So, and, and those scenarios, right. <sighs> Would he have died? Probably. I knew where I was placing a shot. I shoot a fairly heavy arrow. I didn't like the shot. And I mean, it was a chip shot. It was 47 the yards. The shot is no shot if right? you don't like it. And I right? didn't like it. I mean, I drew, I put the pin on him, and I let down. I go, man, I really don't like this shot. Yeah. But I, I like that more than tracking an animal for a day wondering whether or not he's dead or not right that is the absolutely absolutely the worst feeling in the woods period bar none in my opinion the one thing i never want to want to and it's funny
2: i see other people that feel opposite about this because i've come across them i say well have you seen anything no but i i stuck one this morning and i'm like (laughs) <laughs> that just goes all through me, man mm-hmm. because that's not the goal, man. I mean just getting that's not what it's about. I, the one thing I would hate to have to tell other people is that I stuck one yeah, you know, and I haven't recovered it. so uh yeah, I know the if you don't feel good about it, then there's no shot. It, it, your no. body tells you it's marginal. your head says it's marginal it's marginal
1: as as right? bad as as bad as you want to go home with a notch tag. The likelihood of a marginal shot equaling that is pretty freaking slim when you talk about how tough and resilient these animals are and what they face on a day-to-day. I mean, it is – I hate to even say I've heard people say, well, just slow them down, right? And I'm Mm -hmm. like – you're saying that around the wrong dude because I'm gonna, you're, you know, like you said earlier, like I'm telling you, <laughs> yeah. I'm letting you have yeah. it when I hear, you know, I will let Sloan. No, it's a marginal effing shot. Don't take it, you know. Yeah. Okay, I'm gonna get now, off of that and, I'll and start going.
2: And that doesn't mean that crap isn't going to happen, right? Mm-hmm. We know that things can happen. We know that you, you know, you can take a shot at an animal, they take a step. It happened to me. You know, I ended up putting two into my bull this year because just as I'm releasing, he jumps to go after the cow and I end up a foot back further than I want to. You know, fortunate for me, he stops after I bugle and cow call. He stops and I have another opportunity. Second arrow is already off. And and that's the other thing too is. Is I You know, I, I tell my archers, I tell my uh, my hunters, man, if you have a second shot opportunity, take that it. arrow needs to be off. It's got to be in that animal. And it doesn't, at that point, it no longer matters if it's a marginal shot. It's a shot. You got to get another arrow into that animal. Anything to help you recover it, to make it bleed, to be able to get to a point where you can trail, track, you know, whatever it's going to take. You get another one. If you get a third opportunity, put a third arrow into it.
1: That's, right? And that's something that folks don't practice. Right. Is it right. uh, you know, you go to the range and you draw, boom, you know, hit the target, you look, OK, uh, you know, and then you knock another arrow and I'm at the range and I'm like, you know, knock, draw, shoot, knock another one, draw, shoot. Right. Uh-huh. Just you got to ingrain that because you have to fight the excitement of I just arrowed. I don't care what animal it is. Right. Pig, bear, right. deer. You got to fight the excitement of just hitting that animal. Again, if it wasn't, you know, even if it wasn't a marginal shot, if it ain't falling in in 30, 40 yards, you know, knock it and get ready for the next shot there.
2: Right. Absolutely. Yep. I hear you, man.
1: So, okay. As I see it, these, these are weak points across the board. Okay. Landscape selection, language, and, and predominantly in the cow vocalizations, gear, because gear ain't gonna kill for you. Yes, it's nice to be comfortable, have a easier pack out, we'll say. Um animal position and anatomy, and then judging your yardage. Those are those are the few things that I see as the weakest points if I'm if I'm broad stroking um elk hunters. No, the judging I you know,
2: and that's something I always forget to bring up because it's just something that I work at all the time that I take, it's kind of like my calling. I almost take it for granted sometime because I do it so much, but judging distance is so huge, man, because, and, and then having your setup so that you know how to use it in all different Mm -hmm. distance situations. You know, I was just talking with another guy uh, not too long ago about, you know, the pin setup. I I think a single pin setup is great. I mean, there's so much you can do with a single pin setup if you know your distances or even a three pin setup and just use your pins and gaps, man, you know, uh, knowing what your distances is and even knowing like, for example, that how far that animal is by how it fits in your pin gap. I mean, there's ways of doing that as well to be able to almost have a range finder on your bow but you know for me having been an instinctive shooter for so long that's something that man from 30 yards in you ought to be legit Mm -hmm. being able to
1: to put that animal down without a range Not, not even i mean honestly 30 yards in not even just instinctive shooting right that should be a no, given if shooter. you're if you're shooting if you're shooting a bow 30 yards mm-hmm. in you should be able to say that's 30 that's 31 yards right there yep. right yep. i mean you're talking most bows yep. that's going to be an inch and a half ish somewhere in there uh with these mm-hmm. crazy you know as you call them nuclear bows that we're shooting you shouldn't have to range that animal now caveat that with saying if you're not comfortable with it then by all means if you have to take the time to pull out your rangefinder because that is a marginal shot in your opinion. Then, by all means, do that. But what we're saying is thirty yards and under. What I'm saying is with thirty yards and under, you should be able to range that off the visual or off of a pin gap and send that arrow. That's just yeah, you should be able to judge success. that and make
2: it happen. Yeah. yeah, you know. And and what I tell people is like when when you're doing your practicing, when you're out on your range days, you know, is as you you take five arrows, walk away from your target, and just start tossing arrows. And pick them up, turn around, shoot, you know, work at judging that distance and making it happen. You'll surprise yourself, man. Mm-hmm. You're a whole lot better. And I think I think sometimes people like they like uh it's kind of a safety thing, you know, uh, to be able that I have to range it and this and that, you know. And <laughs> as an instinctive shooter with a bow the shot two seventy, you know, feet per second, I was able to be within inches of, I mean. Dang, dude, out to 60, 70 yards, right? So I know the ability of people if they just practice it and work at it. Well, and, and, oops, sorry, go ahead. Go ahead. It, do that with trees, do it with open area and different, you know, do it through shadows. You got to see what all that looks like,
1: right? And, and well, I'm going to shamelessly plug here. The Elk Bros Adventures, that's going to be part of yep. um, the offering there, right? As I go through a series of of archery skills. And that's one mm-hmm. of the modules in there. As we talk about, you know, judging yardage and learning how to judge yardage. Right. And there's several, several tricks of the trade we do And in our class this year. Um, that was one of the things that all of them said was like, dude, I can judge to X amount. Now I can shoot out to this amount. Right. And they weren't right. hindered by that. So, you know, Elk Bros Adventures, folks so <laughs> so let, let's go through that real quick since i just shamelessly segued um base is huge i mean Basecamp camp just i mean there's there's so much information on Basecamp. uh it's unbelievable. and more coming and that and, and that's yeah so if you're familiar with Basecamp, there's more that's going to be toppled on on top of that you know more visuals i'm doing some videos i know the other guys have some stuff coming um, I imagine Luis and his uh, telephone builds are going to be coming. Um, okay. So talk, t- kind of talk us through Elk Bro's Adventure, the base camp, and then what, uh, what offerings we're looking at there, Jojo.
2: So that's, that's, um, we've always been about vision. From the minimum moment. Uh, moment. <laughs> from the moment that we started all of this, man. Um, you know, we had our vision of where we were going with it and and we've been just, I mean, you think about it, what we're doing is only three years old. And where we've come in that three years has been phenomenal. But, you know, Base Camp is online hunting, elk hunting course that is my uh, flagship. It's it's my my baby. It's me giving my experience of 40 years and using my coaching style to be able to teach people how to hunt elk in a totally different manner that is. I've never seen anybody else do it. It's just my coaching style. I actually do things in reverse. So I start with the moment most in your control and work backwards uh, because it's what I call success based training is what I do. I want people when, you know, when you understand what to do to close the deal at the end, because there's so many people that are going to get there, whether right, wrong, indifferent, stumbling into it, but they're going to get there. Do they know what to do, you know, with that car after that they've been chasing once they catch it? So I work from that and I come backwards to the next step. And now when I'm talking about things on that level and I talk about why you need them, You understand why, because you just came from there. You know what it looks like. You know, like I explained to people, it's just like why football teams that are successful year after year after year, you know, because they they practice those situations those game-winning situations in crunch at the end of the game in order to to win those two-minute drills you know a basketball team with five seconds on the clock and you got the ball at half court what you're going to do and they practice that over and over and over again so that when they get in that position they know what it looks like and they're able to execute it so that's where I start at and I come backwards from there so that is me in my coaching style right um where Whereas we are now doing elk bros adventures and this is our our next thing that i'm just so excited about because it's not old joe Gillia. we have our currently it's our elk bros elk success squad right and so I, we have guy duplanche that's working with you on gear and that's working with you on shooting um you have luis gonzalez working with you on setup uh and when i talk about setup i'm talking about your arrow setup your archery setup you know we've got um Um, uh, Travis O'Shea working on calling um, and setups. I myself are working on calling and setups and elk knowledge and the different things in that area. Gilbert was working with guys on failure points. So you have, we're bringing in all these different experts in their areas and we break it down granularly and you get to hear it from different people that specialize in those areas, man, because that's their passion, that's their thing. And what's so cool about that is Um, This is all video based. Um, There's some written stuff in there that you have access to. This is all being put together right now because this is being developed from what we did for our first elk bros adventures camp this year, where we coached four men um, that uh, decided they wanted to learn to elk hunt and learn how to be successful DIY hunters. So we were doing all of this granularly with each of our coaches in these areas for two months prior to them ever getting boots on the ground. And then they had a coach with them once they got boots on the ground. But we had people that were like, where can we get access to that kind of coaching? And so that's been our dream child. That's what we're putting together now um, so that it will be, there for you to access either as small individual modules or group together modules in a certain area or an overall module that covers all of the areas. So that's our dream child that we're putting together now from what we've already done. And that's um, the success squad, the elk bros elk hunting success squad. Well, We got some other cool things down because we want to do the same thing, um, in some other areas as well. So we want to be your location for outdoor adventures. So, um, it's exciting to talk about it and it's, uh, and until you start talking about it and committing, it doesn't become reality and we're working on the reality (laughs) right now. So, I mean, it's got people like guys,
1: how excited are you about that? Oh, I can't wait, man. I, you know, when you look at where our hunters were from, the age range of our hunters, and you're talking about like some killers, man, right? And yeah. and killers that have some years to them, right? And you go, well, what could I help you with? And then you realize, wow. And then, man, it just like, I was like a, a little blossoming petunia. I'm like, this is freaking awesome. Because not <laughs> only are we able to – Give them our knowledge base. We can draw off of their knowledge base and add to the next level of training that Elk Bros Adventures is pumping out and their input. So it's like you got you got just in our last class, 300 plus years of experience behind oh, yeah. the stick and yep. string chasing and all the different areas. Yeah, uh-huh. man. And it's just, that's, yep. I think that's the part that gets me super pumped up. And, well, it's just and, like, and that's ooh. what's so cool is it's, it's,
2: it's not all Joe Julia. Right. I mean, I have my style, but you compare me to Guy de Planchier, right. Guy is going to be out there. And, and because of Guy, I've, I've, I'm working at, you know, learning some things too. But we actually kind of compliment each other. I even heard him say, you know, he went on a hunt this year, he decided to go Joe Gillia style, mm-hmm. man. So, <laughs> you know, look, I. You know, I listen to a guy talking about all this stuff that guys need in their pack and they're going to do, and everything like that. And I tell him nah, I'm just hunting with Guy because he'll have it. I don't need it. I'm not going to carry it. but what it what it brings is it brings different viewpoints and 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 yet it organized in a course where there's no happenstance. It's not like, well, if I want to learn this, I've got to watch. And figure out where I'm gonna get it from all these different videos. No, it's it's gonna be broke up in a way so that you can you can either go a la carte or you can go so that, well, I, I want to go vegetarian. <laughs> right. It's funny I use that, right? <laughs> but you know what I mean? It's like a different taste for what you need. Is it, do I need to learn about gear? Do I need to learn about calling? Do I need to learn about setup? So do I get the group of those or am I going to get the ultimate elk hunting package where I can have all of that and access all of this different materials to be able to learn from? And so I, And I think uh, there's
1: enough overlap. I okay. And I'm not being biased here, right. I'm, I'm speaking from being the consumer right now. Mm -hmm. I would be looking at the whole thing because as Mm -hmm. I go through and I, you know, joined in, in Gil's meeting or yours, the overlaps there are hugely important to understand, you know, okay, that's what I should be drawing out of there. Um, And and, and not even just with, with the Elkbro stuff, with Paul Medell, right? Chris mm-hmm. Rowe. The overlaps and and you building your own repertoire because none of this stuff is cookie cutter. It, it's not cookie no. cutter. If it was cookie it's cutter. It's dynamic. Yeah. Mm-hmm. If it was cookie cutter, it'd be 95% success rate. It's not cookie right. cutter. So get the whole thing and, and pull those bits and pieces and build yourself, build your skill set to fit you. And I think when we start to pick and choose bits and pieces, we limit ourselves – in growing that, that repertoire base. I I really think it's a detriment.
2: Yeah, actually. Yeah, absolutely. But, but here's the thing though is I would rather have people, you know, if they're saying, you know, I don't have time for this. Well, maybe you have time for one of those. Right. And then what that does is it might get them, it gets their foot in the door, gets them a little excited. They get a little bit of that knowledge and they get hung. It, then it becomes your crack, man. You just mm-hmm. want to get more, more, and, more and more of and more. it. Right? Yep. Yeah. So, you know, we want to be able to put it in. Maybe somebody wants to be like, well, oh, before I go and buy all of that, I, I want to know if, you know, I even like listening to these dudes mm-hmm. or, know or see what they put out and you get a chance to taste that and you know uh it it's it's exciting stuff man and let me just tell you for again what we do is our goal is to make you into the best greatest diy hunter that we can create and we take great pride in that the fact that i get emails and letters and uh texts and stuff from all these people that have only listened to our podcast. Only listened to all. I mean, they go through our podcast. They just continually listen to them, which I don't know how they do that, man. I'd be like a zombie. <laughs> but you know, they go listen to all of. And then that we get these emails. I'm a first time elk hunter. I got it done because I did this, this, and this. Or it was my second year. Or I've been hunting four years. I've never been successful. But I, man, I caught you guys. I've I've really listened, and I can't thank you. Enough. that kind of stuff, right there. You know, it was like when. When those guys left our camp, whether they punched their tag or not, each person left there this year feeling so good about where they were going on their elk hunting journey. Mm -hmm. And I mean, there were smiles, there were tears, there were hugs, you know, and there was nothing better than that, man.
1: Yeah. That was pretty cool. Yeah. That's a, it's an amazing experience Um, just to see them, you know, the, the lights come on and the understanding and them go, Oh, the, you know, just flip a switch, flip a switch, flip a switch. Oh crap. Yep. I thought this, you know, and having those conversations, it was, uh, it was awesome, man.
2: Yeah. It's, it was pretty daggum cool. But so for all you people out there, I hope, um, after all of this, that you've heard, one thing that you've gotten out of this is man, I need to get started right You know, if I even want to improve my odds 20%, 30%, and that's a lot, man, Mm -hmm. improving your odds that much. If I want to do that, you know, I needed to at least just put this much more time into it. And, uh, hey, you know, that's going to be the game changer for you. It it really is.
1: So Basecamp is available where, Jojo?
2: So if you want to uh, get our online course, you can go to elkbros.com. Elkbros.com. You can find anything Elk Bros there. Um, you can find our base camp. You can uh, purchase that. That's where you log in at. You can find out about Elk Bros adventures, um, our coached hunts. Uh, you'll be able to find everything as it gets developed and as it grows from that website right there. Heck
1: yeah. And then. Blue collar, blue collar elk hunting is available wherever you uh podcast. I don't think there's a platform that it's not on at this point.
2: No, I think I mean it's on iHeart, it's on Google, I mean it's uh it's been pretty much uh Pandera. Uh it's it's everywhere now. And uh um, you can go to Waypoint uh Waypoint TV, you can find us there. That's our host network. And look, if you are looking for a lot of outdoor content. Oh my Lord, man, just go to Waypoint TV and, uh, and check it out. Waypoint.tv. You can, you can check that out there and they have it in all different outdoor areas. So, so that's a super place to go right there. You can find us on Instagram. You can find us on YouTube. Um, and, and if you were ever doing a search for us, it's elk bros, one word,
1: E-L-K-B-R-O-S elk bros all right my brother well i appreciate the time uh excited to get uh the new part of this rolling out and uh glad to sit down with you as usual man absolutely bud thank you